You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. MyMac podcast number 256. We're going to have a busy show this week. We've got a giveaway. Thanks to McCallie, we're giving away two EcoFan Pros bamboo cooling stands for your laptop computer. It's really, really cool. And, of course, Snow Leopard's going to be the main focus today. There's a lot to talk about, so sit back, relax. Unless you're driving, then pay attention to what you're doing. Enjoy. And I am Tim Robertson, and this is the 256th weekly episode of the MyMac.com podcast. I've got Guy Searle here with me, and I've got David Cohen. Well, not here with me. They're on Skype. But yep. It'd, it'd be a crowded room if you guys are here with me. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, maybe well, with we, Guy, but not so yeah, much David. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> with, I, I with do Guy, have I, a tendency to I take just, up um, a bit of room. So, guys, it's uh, about a week since Leopard came out. Uh, Snow Leopard, I should say. We've all been using it, and we're going to talk about it extensively on this podcast. I, I, a lot of people are having problems. A lot of people are not having problems, so we're going to get into all that. But first, I want to uh, talk about our contest that we're having this week, and we're also going to have it next week. So you've got two weeks to enter this contest. It's for an EcoFan Pro from Mac Alley. It's a bamboo cooling stand for your laptop computer. Artie reviewed it up at MyMac.com a couple weeks ago, and he gave it a perfect 5 out of 5. It's a really cool looking... Have you guys looked at this prize yeah. that we're giving away? It's really neat. It's it's pretty good. I mean, anything that's uh, you know has that natural look about it, I think, is a good compliment to your uh, to your Mac setup, really. And this looks really nice. It's, it's really neat. It's got two 2.5-inch two fans that runs off your USB power. So it literally just you know cools your your laptop down a whole bunch, and I I don't have one. I kind of want one, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I can't win. But the people listening to the show they can win. So we're going to take care of this right here at the beginning of the show. If you want a chance to win one of two of these prizes, the EcoFan Pro from Mac Alley, send an email to contest at mymac dot com. In the body of your message, put your name, address, and more importantly, your phone number. We really like to call and let people know that you win. And, uh, you know, we'll get you on the show. We'll call you through Skype. So if you see a, a phone number that doesn't show up in your caller ID and it's Thursday from two weeks from today, <laughs> it's us. It's probably Tim. Answer the yeah. phone. That'll be on the Pick 17th. So you have until September 17th, 2009. To enter the contest, we'll pick a winner approximately 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So answer your phone. That's right. The only thing, the only change I would make to this product would be to turn one of the fans around. Yeah, so it can suck out the air too. Uh, well, yeah, or just co- cooling off, cooling off. Uh, oh, never mind. Yeah, I knew what you were saying. <laughs> I, I was trying to rescue it there. Oh uh, well, good luck. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on at MyMac.com since our last podcast and. Actually, it's been quite a, a few reviews up there. You guys see the a- AKG earbud reviews from John Nemirovsky? Yeah, he's a, he really did done a number on those. He did very comprehensive testing. You know, they're they're sexy-looking earplugs. Earbuds. Earbuds is why I want to say earplugs. <laughs> they're not plugs. They're, they're earbuds. 
Um, I'm not a big fan of earbuds myself. I like the over-the-ear headphones, but that's not always the easiest to use if I'm out and about, obviously. And yeah, I, I, I like, I actually like the stuff that goes in the ear. I like to be isolated from what's going on around me. So uh, these kind of appeal to me, really. Maybe it's just a, a natural extension for me of listening to music back in the 80s and 90s on full-size headphones. I'm just comfortable with them. Yeah, I, I like the full-size headphones myself, especially if I'm traveling like on a plane or something along those lines. It, it, the, 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 the full ones that cover your entire ear just seem to block out more of the noise than the earbuds do. But don't they make your ears quite sweaty? I always uh, have that well, problem. I've, I've also got, I, I can't remember, I think it's called, uh, uh, what is that where you get the constant buzzing in your ear? Tinnitus. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I was going to say something derogatory, but okay. Oh, well, I'm used to that. <laughs> but I, I, I've got that on occasion. You know, it, it doesn't always bother me, but but sometimes it does. And when it's really bad and I want to listen to something, I find that having the over-the-head earphones seems to you know help with that a little bit i i just prefer them they're, they're for me they're more comfortable i don't like anything stuck inside my ear it's just not comfortable to me most of the time i'm a little bit more used to it after using the uh, apple earbuds because for a long time if you're an iphone user that was the only ones you could really use remember the first generation iphone had that recessed plug so the only thing you could stick in there was the apple headphones yeah and that was kind of a, ugh, you know, not the best. But no. right now I'm also reviewing the AKG K727 HD headphones. These are audiophile quality headphones. They are over the ear, and they're <laughs> they're amazing. They sound really, really good. And I've actually got three different headphones that I'm going to be reviewing. And I think I might go with a video review so people can actually see what the headphones look like in hand. But, uh... I don't know. I, it, it's going to be one of those types of reviews that I would like to combine all three because I've got a a consumer, not really an audiophile type of headphones. It's more or less, I don't want to say gimmicky headphone, but we'll go with that. I've got a middle one that's kind of a noise cancellation, sounds pretty good, and then I have these AKGs, which is just amazing so well that that's what john did with this review by comparing the three different price levels of these um and i, I thought actually it was quite an interesting approach because let's face it if you're in the store and you decide that you like the look of of these and then you find that there is a, a model that's 20 30 dollars more and then another model that's 20 30 dollars more than that you are going to think well should i spend you know the top amount of money and is that going to give me the best but that's not always the case that's true uh, the ones that I'm going to be reviewing, the AKGs that I'm reviewing, are 350. So 350. They're not earbuds, are they? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. No, these are the over-the-ear headphones. Gold-plated. And they, I mean, you do sometimes get what you pay for, especially with the over-the-ear headphones, and these do sound amazing. But there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, I'm listening to MP3 or compressed type of music on a portable digital player. Do I right. really need a $350 audiophile headphones yes you do yes you do <laughs> well if it, it depends i i mean if you can hear the artifacts in the music then probably not because all that's going to do is make make those make worse. artifacts sound clearer um but I, I you know it's different things for different people that's very true it's uh i don't know it's one of those things that i really like the comfort of these and they can have this almost a it's not foam it's more soft uh, more like a velvet feel to it and I really like them. 
I mean, they're really, really comfortable. Uh, also up at MyMac.com right now, Mike Breed, he's one of our new reviewers and a listener of the podcast, did a review of the M-Hub Dock Station from Dexum. It's a very interesting product. It's something that I wouldn't mind looking at myself. Well, uh, the, the one thing that, that, that is really nice about this is, is that it's not just a docking station. You know, that's it's right. Got a, it's got an SD card reader built in. It's got a, it's got a few other features that kind of makes it stand out from the crowd. The SD card reader is kind of what made me think, ooh, I'd kind of like that. Um, my SD card reader is actually built into my USB hub, but it's an older one. And it's really not the easiest to get in and out of. And plus, I keep it up on a shelf because it's so bulky and big. So something like this that would combine two things. Number one, somewhere I can dock my iPhone and uh, the card reader. That would be nice. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, that's okay. Um, the other thing I liked about this is the uh, it, the dock connector is not recessed. That's right. So you don't have to use those adapters or anything like that. You can stick any iPod or iPhone in there, and it's kind of sticking up proud. So even if you have a case on or something like that, you'll probably be able to uh, to dock it, which... You know, it's I have I bought the official iPhone dock, and then found that I could never use it because the the iPhone's always got something on it. Like yeah, you got to take it out it. of the case, and it's like yeah, why bother? Even if, even if you've got a film on there, it it kind of snags on the edges because it's such a tight fit, and it's uh, it's not great really. Something yeah, that- the problem the problem I have with it is I've got the uh, the Mophie Juice Pack Air, which uses a I think it's a mini USB connector. So this isn't something I could use unless I was constantly taking the case off. And that's going to be an issue for a lot of people. Um, another thing that we have up on the site now is a review of Burger Time Deluxe. And I wrote that, that one. one. I did. And the funny thing is, you know, I think we talked about this on um, either Geekiest the Show Ever. Geekiest Wasn't Show it? Ever, yeah. That this is very a, a, a niche product. And it is a Mac software title game, which is rare in and of itself. But it is a PC port. But you can't really tell. I mean, it runs really smooth. But this is the kind of product that you're going to be interested in if you're kind of a fan of the original and you like old-style type of arcade games, because that's really what it is. Right. And I I really dug it. It does have a couple little problems that I don't like. Um, But all in all, I gave it a 3 out of 5. And I actually paid for this one, by the way. Can you turn off the... uh updated graphics and actually have the original arcade game graphics in it no and that's one of the problems that i had with it if you're going to make this game the original burger time the source code and everything is less than a megabyte in size why not (laughs) include that in the burger time deluxe set that way you could play old school burger time or new style burger time but they didn't give us the opportunity so i I, I was kind of bummed out about that that'll be in the ten dollar update the only thing you can do with settings is turn up or down the music um, and up and down the uh, you know the sounds, the game sounds itself, as well as in turn on mouse play, so you can actually play it with your mouse. And I tried it; it was horrible. It's it's that unplayable. Surprised me. So, these, these these are Twitch games. Yeah. So why on earth would you want to play them with an analog with an analog kind of you know variable device? And the last thing that we have up there, and David, this is a review from you, the Mercury Pro 8X Blu-ray writer from Otherworld Computing. Yeah, this is the review that's probably, <laughs> I can't believe how long it took me Co- to A couple months late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then some. And then some. Funnily, funnily enough, I just emailed the review to you, and I got an email from Otherworld Computing saying, um, you know that drive we lend you, when can we have it back? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So, uh, um, yes, this has been um, certainly well matured in gestation, this review. I really gave it a good workout. But it is a fantastic drive. It, I mean, it's a lot of money for for a, an optical drive compared to what you would pay for an external DVD burner. But if you really think you need Blu-ray, um, this is the, this, the, the, the thing to have. It won't let you play the video, but if you want to put 25 gigabytes or 50 gigabytes onto a single optical disc, then this definitely does the job for you, and uh, it's a really well-built drive, very nice. At that and price? it comes with software? Uh, you can buy it with software. Uh, they You need to use Toast because... Uh, even Snow Leopard yeah, doesn't have Blu-ray yet, but um, you can. And uh, other world computing will will sell it to you in a bundle with Toast if you don't already have Toast. But uh, if you already have Toast, it has the support built in. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of money because uh, the price of these drives is fairly expensive. And this is a top-end drive; it's an eight times drive. You can spend a lot less money for ex- an external drive that only does one or two times writing. If you're not worried about you, speed, yeah. Well, exactly. But the thing is, if you're burning 25 or 50 gigabytes it's going to take a disc while. and you have a one, a one or two times drive, then that's kind of, you know, that's a two and a half hour job probably for a 50 gig disc. And you don't really want to be doing that. So it's very good quality. You pay for the quality, but uh, and you may want to wait to see whether these drives eventually filter down into the Macs natively. But if you need it today, um, you're probably not going to get a better solution than this, I don't think. Let me ask you, for those who are thinking, maybe I should go Blu-ray for archive purposes, is it worth spending $329 for just the drive? Uh, we'll assume that they already have toast. And then the extra money for the disc. And blank Blu-ray discs are not cheap yet. Exactly. That's, no, that's true. Is that worth it? Or is it worth just you know buying a 100 gig external USB drive? Heck, for that price, you can buy three. I was going to say, can you, can you even get 100 gig external Not really. Drives I mean, anymore? no, you can't. The I smallest mean, you, I've seen lately get... has been like 320. Yeah, I, and I've can... seen them at 250 still. And and the, the other review I'm writing for... Um, for from another world computing product is the uh, is the uh, what's the SATA doc the um, Voyager Voyager Pro. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, yeah. So and and I talk about that in that review. I talk about the fact that you know if you've got something like that, you can use bare drives, which take up a lot less space um, than uh, you know the the problem with external drives. And this is a real issue I have is I have a shelf here in my office with five of the things stacked up there, all of different sizes from when I, depending on, you can, you can date them on bed depending on, on how big they are, because obviously as you buy one newer, then they're, they're bigger. But they have cables, they have power supplies, they all use different power supplies. It's a mess, frankly, and um, it becomes a real headache organising all that and thinking what's on where. What's nice about optical discs is you stick them in a case, you can write on the outside of the case what's on the disc, and then stick it on a shelf, and it's there whenever you need it. And when you want to get data off that disk, you just put it in your drive and you can read it. Um, that's the convenience and the advantage. It's much more convenient than using external drives. So, you know, if, you're, if you've got a workflow that means you're generating lots of data and then you want to put it on a shelf and not worry about it, I think Blu-ray actually has a place for that. But I, I do recognize that uh, external drives and, and the flexibility that gives you in terms of being able to change the data on them because obviously once you've written stuff to a disk then that kind of it is set there permanently yep. um it's is uh you know the flexibility of a drive is going to is, is going to suit most people probably better and it's probably one of the reasons why apple hasn't been in a massive hurry to try and solve the 
the Blu-ray problems they've had with licensing and actually get these drives in Macs because they don't see the demand. But I think I've I've had a few few circumstances over the last sort of six to eight months where I've thought, well, actually DVDs just aren't big enough anymore. I don't really want to be using an external drive. Uh, optical is the way to go. And I think a 25 gig or a 50 gig Blu-ray disc is a good solution to that. At least temporarily. Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem, temporarily. And here's my other problem with the Blu-ray option, David. Not enough people are going to have access to to access those discs. In other words, if you're doing graphic work and you need to send something out, and it's a large job, it's over four gigs, you got to make sure that someone at the other agency has a Blu-ray player that they can actually read your disc. And until Blu-ray is really widely adopted, and I honestly don't think it's ever going to be, it, the only thing this is really good for is archiving. Yeah. Or and creating there's lots your of own options. Blu-ray there's movies. lots of options these days to to, you know, store your data online in the cloud or whatever. Not those sizes cloud. though. Not not those sizes. It, it would take forever to upload a, a file that's, you know, 6 7 gigabytes. It's, it's really not feasible. At least I yeah. don't think so. No, you can do it, but it you would take several days of leaving the computer running constantly to do that and of course during that time period all you need is a power cut and you're going to lose the entire thing absolutely because because uh, it'll it'll stall midway so the, i think these things have a place and and i was i was you know fairly clear in the view that you need to have a long hard think about whether this is the right solution for you because it is a fair amount of money and you know it does have some disadvantages but if you've made if you've been through that process and you've decided that this is the way you want to go, then certainly this is a good product. Now, a couple months ago, that's not even been that long, it's been like a month ago, I decided to upgrade the hard drive in my MacBook Pro, and I pulled out the 80-gig hard drive because I just had so many problems with it. But here's the thing. What do I do with this 80-gig hard drive? I'm not going to turn it into a use-it-every-day drive. But it would be just fine for transporting larger files from one computer to another or, say, to a client's house, that sort of thing. I ran into just that problem. I had a seven, no, I'm sorry, eight and a half gig folder that I had to bring over to a client's house. And, yes, I have this old drive that was sitting inside my MacBook Pro, but how am I going to connect it? I actually got a chance to use my USB 2.0 universal drive adapter. And it worked worked perfectly. But here's the funny thing. The very next day, uh, Otherworld Computing sent me uh, just to try out and have. They said, you can keep it if you want. It's just the the OWC Express USB 2.0 enclosure. It's just a very small little enclosure. You have to supply your own drive. But this thing's only 20 bucks. So I slapped that little hard drive in there, reformatted it. Wow, it's great. It's USB powered, so I don't have to worry about a big plug or anything. It comes with its own little... uh, soft slip case so it's going to be protected it's just the only problem with the slip cases though you can't stick the the usb power adapter in there or the cord it's like well, you should have made a little pocket inside this so i could keep the cord with it as well otherwise you got to kind of slide the cord in there and then you but risk scratching it is it just a standard mini usb cord yep, though it is you could probably jettison the cord if you if you go to a client or something like that and most most people have about 400 of the things floating around. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but it's a nice little unit. You know, it's got a little light on top. It's got uh, holes for ventilation, which a lot of the USB enclosures that I've seen at Best Buy and places like that, they don't have any kind of ventilation. It's like, you know, this is a, a moving hard drive inside this thing. 
it's just going to get hot in this little case. I, you want some kind of ventilation. Yeah. And the OWC Express actually has ventilation. It's only 20 bucks too, so I'm very pleased with that. Yeah, this is this is good because it looks really nice, and you can go out and you can spend probably seven or eight dollars on eBay, or maybe a bit more at Best Buy, on one of these cheap Chinese knockoff um, enclosures. But like you say, you're not going to get anything that's a, as nice looking as this, and probably isn't as as good quality either. I don't think so. And so I want to thank you, um, Otherworld Computing, for sending me that because it's going to come in handy. I'm, it's not going to be something I'm going to use every day. But, but that's not I what those types of drives are for. Absolutely. But when I need it, it's right there. So I'm happy with it. Speaking of OWC guy, we're yes. going to be going there next month. The end of next month, we're going to pay a visit to their world headquarters. Um, Over there in Woodstock, Illinois. Yep. A little bit, uh, what is that? That's west of Chicago, northwest. Yeah, it's just west of Chicago. It looks like it's, uh, well, depending on traffic, probably a half hour, 45 minutes. Yep. I'm looking yeah, my forward mother, to My going. mother actually was born and raised not far from there at Harvard. Really? Yeah. Awesome. I was just in the area for a sad occasion. I had a funeral I had to go to, so I'm very familiar with the area once again. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going there, Guy. I, I'm. It's one of these things that I, I don't know what we're going to do when we get there, but I know it's going to be cool. Yeah, and I'll I'll take about two days to get there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're going to drive. <laughs> I'm going to drive. Woo-hoo. I hate to fly. Last thing I want to talk about MyMac.com related is, and it's kind of the podcast related too, I get email from a lot of you listeners out there asking about when Sam Levin's going to come back on with his cool Mac picks. And the problem with bringing Sam back on wasn't the content itself. It was just how we fit it into the show. And we tried to, we, we've really tightened up the show a lot. We try to keep it under an hour each episode now. And to bring Sam on, we literally, it just, takes about yeah, 10 minutes to, to get it, ready and then right. another five minutes afterwards. Show up. Yeah, and it, it just, it was not easy to do. So after a lot of discussion between me and Sam, we decided that MyMac.com is going to produce his own podcast. So this is Sam's podcast. It's produced by MyMac.com, which means me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a very short podcast. It's going to come out multiple times in a week. Maybe maybe one show a week, maybe three shows a week. But each episode is going to be less than five minutes, so it's very easy and quick to download. If you get behind on a whole bunch of episodes, you can probably get caught up within an hour, even if you're you know ten shows behind. And uh, it, it's fun. It's in iTunes already. If you want to find it, just go to MyMac.com and look on the right-hand side of the page, and you will see Sam's Cool Picks Tech. And he's, this is perfect for Sam. You know, he records it on his iPhone and then he just sends that audio file to me on the iPhone, directly from the iPhone. And I, you know, put music in the intro and the outro together and boom, it's posted. We're all good to go. So it's, it's easy for me to do. It's easy for Sam to do. And it's really good content. So it's exactly what you were used to hearing Sam do here on the show, but just a very condensed version. He looks at one product per episode. It could be anything from an iPhone app a brand new hard drive, something that connects to your TV. If it's related to tech, Sam's going to cover it on Sam's Coolest Picks. So, have you guys listened to the first episode? Yeah, uh, I I didn't know you you hadn't told me ahead of time you were going to be doing this. I, I'm over in iTunes right now, and I'm I'm looking at the the first episode that's up. And I just tried to to do a search in iTunes for it, and it's not coming up yet. So well, probably I just, the I, easiest way yeah. to to get it is going to be to go to mymac.com 
find the link that's over on the, the right-hand side of the page, just underneath the, the, the podcast icon. Click on that. takes you right into iTunes, right to where the page is. The reason you're not finding it via search in iTunes is because this literally went live in iTunes last night. So it's it's still relatively yeah, brand new. Yeah, it takes a little yeah. bit of time. Yeah, but the best the best way to find it is go just go right to mymac.com and click the link there. Now the nice thing is Sam can record these fairly quickly. They're small episodes, and he gets them over to me, and it doesn't take me a lot to you know produce the show for him and get it loaded. And I've already got the next three episodes online ready to go. I just got to populate the RSS feed the next time it's ready for a new episode, which I probably do. Uh, another one, I don't know if I'll do it tonight, but probably tomorrow. Now so he's doing these himself? He's doing these himself? himself by himself. And it's actually recorded on his iPhone guy. And I think a oh, lot of people are going to be surprised when they listen to the audio quality that this was recorded with just his iPhone. Yeah, having having listened to it, you would not be able, be able to say it was lower quality than any other podcast. And he's still getting used to using this, so... There's a couple hard S's and a couple pops in there, and it's because he's talking directly into the mic. Instead so it's going to hold it back a yeah, little Yeah, he needs to hold it back and not talk directly into the mic. But that's just going to come with experience and using something like the iPhone that he's not used to using as a recording device. Once he gets that experience, it's going to sound a l- even a little bit better. So, But it, right now, the audio quality is fantastic. And, of course, the content itself is entertaining. So I do suggest everyone go in and listen to it. Um as a treat, we're going to actually play. We're going to take a break from our podcast, and we're going to drop in the first episode of Sam's show right here and right now. So, Way cool. Here you go. If it's technology, if it's cool, it's got to be Sam's Cool Picks. And now, the man himself, the grandmaster of tech funk, Sam Levin. Hey folks, this is Sam with a new edition of Cool Picks. Now today I want to talk about a new application on the iTunes store or the App Store called Panelfly. So go to the App Store, type in Panelfly, that's one word, and you'll download a new comic book reader. Now what these folks have done have incorporated a really, really slick reader. Um, They've incorporated things like landscape mode viewing, um, bookmarking. You can purchase comics with one touch. They've built their own store. If you turn your iPhone landscape mode, it shows you their own version of CoverFlow that incorporates uh, their comic book store. So if you want more comics, you can. When you download com- uh, when you download Panelfly, you'll receive some comics. So that's kind of nice. But um, Panelfly is really, really well done. Now, one of the best features, in my opinion, is their view mode. You can view your comics, as I said, landscape or portrait mode, but also if you want to view it the way you're normally reading, they have a zoom function with one click or one touch that basically guides the reader's eyes to where they need to read the comic. So I think it's really nice, well done. The user interface is slick. Anyway, that's it. Um, It's called Panelfly for the iPhone or iPod Touch, and uh, hope you check it out. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. Sam's Cool Picks is produced by MyMac.com in conjunction with Sam Levin Productions. Please direct all feedback to samlevin at mac.com. So that was the first episode of Cool Tech Picks by Sam Levin. Of course, 
the intro and the outro. Yep, that's me. <laughs> I can't deny it. It's me. No, nah, well, it's a, it's a my Mac show. It well, it is. My it's Mac show it's without, part of the family. That's right. Without you saying something in it. That's right. It's, it just wouldn't be a my Mac show unless I'm in there somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we do have some other shows very early in development. Um, I, I don't want to say who's involved yet, oh, but Jesus. we have at least two other shows that we are looking at producing. One of them is a show that will, it, it's kind of going to be a Mac show, but it's going to take a religious view as well. So it's going to combine being a Mac user and being uh, a person of faith. And I think there's a pretty big market for that. I think a lot of people will enjoy that. And the other show is going to be a, a podcast focused on the cell phone industry. So it's not going to be a Mac show. It's not going to be everything covered under tech. It's going to focus on cell phones. With and cell phones in general or cell phones or, or the iPhone in general? No, or? cell phones, the cell phone okay. industry. So that could include, you know, the, the, the BlackBerry, the iPhone, you name it. If it's a cell phone, it's going to be covered under that show. And that show will have uh, two hosts, and I've been talking to both gentlemen. I think they would work really well together, but we'll see what happens. Uh, and it's still, like I said, very early in development. So with all that out of the way, let's talk about Snow Leopard, guys. Uh, let's start with you, David. Uh, you got yeah. Snow Leopard, and what have you installed it on, and what's your verdict so far? Well, I just have it on one machine, which is the MacBook Pro that I'm talking to you now on. Um, I've taken a fairly conservative view with it because, you know, did a, quite a lot of reading before the before the product came out, and it was very clear to me that there's so many really big architectural changes underneath that this wasn't going to be something that I just throw on every machine I have and and try and clear up the wreckage afterwards. I remember when Leopard came out that quite a lot of the buzz that we've been hearing the last few days of people complaining that things aren't working and, and why, you know, why can't Apple get this right? And this sort of thing was exactly what we heard when leopard came out yep. and it's for much the same sorts of reasons. You know, they've, they've made this time, they made some very big changes underneath and, um, it breaks things because developers don't follow Apple's guidelines and they, you know, tweak a bit here or they've got old code or they rely on frameworks that Apple have been telling them for ages not to use anymore. There's a whole load of stuff going on. So I, I took the view that I wasn't going to put it on my main Mac and then have to spend, I'm really busy at the moment. I didn't want to spend time trying to track down what bugs there were going to be and that sort of thing. So as soon as I got the disc through the post, um, I backed up my uh, my MacBook Pro so that if things went wrong, I could roll it back. And then I did a, an erase and install effectively, so I completely wiped the drive uh, and installed it fresh. And then it's just reinstalled my applications one by one. And I've had no problems, but I've also taken the time to, you know, for every application I install on there, go up to the website, make sure I've got the latest version, and check what the supplier says about Snow Leopard compatibility. There's a couple of things I left off because I knew they weren't going to work, because the, the guys were saying, well, you know, it's going to take us a few weeks to get uh, a Snow Leopard version up and running. And again, that appears to be something that a lot of people on the web have decided this is worth worth the, their bother. So they just go and do an upgrade and install on their existing systems and then find that all sorts of things are broken and uh, stuff they apparently rely on to live and breathe doesn't work anymore. I wasn't going to take that view. So I have it one machine... I'm really happy with it, actually. I really like it. It's very it's very slick. It's very smooth. It's very fast. A lot of the little interface tweaks are very nice. Um, but 
to me, you know, it's 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 well, I didn't have to pay for it because this was a machine I bought fairly recently. But had I bought, uh, had I paid the twenty nine dollars, I would be very happy. Guy Cyril, how many machines, and what's your verdict so far? Uh, I've got five Macs here in the house, and it's now on all of them. <laughs> and I'm I'm so far I'm not having any issues um, on my MacBook Pro and on the iMac. It prompted me to install Rosetta when a particular program I don't remember which one it was now. Uh, I tried to start that up. It it installed Rosetta. Didn't have to restart, and everything was fine. So far, um, the machines seem a little bit faster. I saw on my MacBook Pro, for example, that my free space on the drive went from about 140 to 160. And I understand that's mostly just because of the way that uh, Apple is now counting the, the space inside the drive. Dave probably knows more about that. They've, what they've done is they've aligned the way they count the space on the drive to, to be the same as the way the drive manufacturers do. So originally when uh, when drive, you know, when bytes and kilobytes and everything were defined they were defined as 1024 that was the the unit so one kilobyte is 1024 bytes which means the one megabyte is 1024 kilobytes and one gigabyte is 1024 megabytes the problem is is that when you try and add those up and then you you take an 80 gigabyte drive that's supposedly should be 80 times 1024 that's a hard number for people to work with so Drive manufacturers for a long time have been saying an 80 kilobyte, 80 megabyte or gigabyte drive is is 80 times a thousand, and so Apple has now changed the way that Snow Leopard calculates drive sizes to match that, so that you don't get a thing where you buy a drive and then you find that under the old way you you bought a drive and then then you find found it looked smaller than you thought you bought, which was kind of weird. So that's that's what they've done. So it, it's for it's for good reasons, but obviously during the transition it's going to look a bit odd. Yeah, so there's basically, you know, even even though my my drive says I've got 20 gigs more of space, that's not really accurate. We have got some more space because they've taken a lot of stuff out of the install now. Yep. All the printer drivers installed on demand. Obviously, all the PowerPC code that used to be in there is gone, gone as well. Right. So, so it, it it is taking less space. You probably have more more space, but the actual number you've got is probably not quite as big as it would have been under the old system. Absolutely. Uh, I'm kind of like Guy. Uh, we've got a lot of Macs here, and I've still installed it on most of them, not all. And so far, zero problems. Um, well, I don't want to say zero problems. I am having kind of a major problem with a laser printer from Lexmark that I'm using. It's not supported. And the Lexmark print drivers that you can download don't, don't work, work with that machine. No. Well, it works on the machine. It worked fine under Leopard, but it doesn't work at all under Snow Leopard. So that's kind of a bummer because it was my main printer. Now I've got to go and uh, run a new Ethernet cable over to an older printer and hope that that one works. Um, Yeah. It's kind of a bummer, though, but I did plug in an older inkjet at HP, and Snow Leopard saw it, jumped online, downloaded the drivers for it within, you know, five seconds, and it was running fine. In fact, it even allowed me to scan. I didn't even have to use the HP software to scan. So that was kind of nice. But all in all, I'm not really having a whole lot of issues with Snow Leopard. I will say I was a little, I was tempted not to install it, at least here on the production machine that I use to record the podcasts. You couldn't resist. Yeah, I couldn't resist. And I figured, you know, all else fails. 
Um, it's totally backed up. It's totally backed up. I can go back. It's going to take a little bit of time. But still, I, I was pretty confident that it worked, and it did. And, I mean, I'm, we're recording this show on Snow Leopard. Yeah, so. yeah I actually had one, and, and now that I'm remembering it, I actually had one kind of weird problem. Um, I fired up VMware's Fusion to, to see if there were any updates to the the Windows 7 RC candidate that I have. And in the middle of all that, all of a sudden, the Finder locked up. So yeah. I said, okay, well, I did a three-finger salute and, and brought up Force Quit and told it to go ahead and, and restart the Finder. And it, it kind of started, then it stopped, and then it started, and then it stopped. And all of a sudden, I saw something that I haven't seen since about 10.5.1, the GSOD, Gray Screen of Death, where yeah. it, it comes up and tells you, yeah. you know, the, the only thing you can do at this point is restart your machine by holding down the power button. But the current, yeah, the current Lisa Fusion is not Snow Leopard compatible, as you found out. Yeah, yes, uh, I, I found that out. <laughs> particularly, no. particularly if you're running Windows Seven, which isn't compatible with the current version of Fusion either. I'm on the beta program for uh, for Fusion, and and the latest beta builds actually have fixed all of that stuff, but uh, they haven't they haven't officially released those yet. So um, you know, that's it's, it's kind of a pain for people to have to go to each manufacturer's website. To find out if there's an update, so their apps that they were working with just fine under Leopard will now work with Snow Leopard. We used to have a, a segment on this podcast that Guy Searle did called the Dashboard Minute. Right. And you did the dashboard for, what, about a year? Uh, yeah, more or less. I think it was somewhere between 35 and 40 shows. Okay. So, you know, obviously you joined the show as a regular host after that. Yeah. But one of the uh, dashboard widgets that Guy had talked about on an, an early episode was an app called App Update. And right. what it does is when you install it, you click a button that says Refresh, and it literally looks at all the apps that are on your computer, and it checks it against Apple's databases. Uh, which other ones here? Let me pull uh, it up. Mac Update, Mac Update and Version and Tracker. Version Tracker. So it looks at three different places to see if there's a new version of your software. And it does a fantastic job. I've been using that widget for years now, and it itself is getting updated quite often. So a lot of times I'll launch it, and it'll say, hey, there's a new version. Click update, and it takes all of you know 10 seconds to download. Yeah, a, it's not a real big program. No, it's like 50K. I mean, it's like nothing. But this is a free widget, too. And I've heard a lot of people talking about these different shareware programs that you can get to check your status of your the versions of your software. This is a free widget, and it runs under Snow Leopard just fine, and it saved me a lot of time of, you know, I don't want to go to all these different websites to find out if this app or that app has been updated, and it, it does a great job, and it's free. I'm going to put a yeah. link in the show notes to App Update, but for those who don't want to uh, go to the website and, and look at it, I'm going to spell it out for you, and uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to spell it. It's uh, G-K-A... I-N-D-L dot com. G-K-A-I-N-D-L dot com. Yeah, they have a widget update program as well. Yep, and it will check your widgets yeah. and, and show you updates for those. And that's kind of handy as well. I've got both of them, but I don't use very many widgets, to be quite honest with you. No, I use I use like a couple of Weather Ones app update, and there's a, um, a little screen capture widget. Oh, I use one. Which one do you like? Uh, honestly, I'm looking at it right now, and I have no idea what it's called. I use iClip Light. 
Uh, this is Screenshot Plus, version okay. 3. I used that one for a while. I think I used it in version 1 or 2. And it was okay, but I liked the versatility of iClip Lite. It allows me to, to add, I think, like an infinite number or at least up to 25 different items. The only thing I don't like is I can't tag what's in each one of the little docs thing that they give you. So I only use three, and it's just very common HTML tags that I use. In fact, if you go up to MyMac.com, if you go under any of the featured articles, uh, like if you go under, for instance, David Cohen's review of the Blu-ray drive, um, I have a thing underneath every review that says email, my Mac, Twitter, advertise, and then they add this thing. That's just in that the, the dashboard widget that I have, iClip Lite. I just pull it out of there and paste it into the HTML, and we're good to go. So it just saves me cool. the time of you know keeping track of all this kind of different code that I'm going to need even just occasionally. And I just click this, click that, and boom, we're good to go. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say a lot of developers have not been... I don't know what the reason for this is, whether whether they weren't sure when Snowflake Leopard was actually going to come out, when the build was stable, whatever. But there's quite a few um, suppliers who haven't really, um, you know, they, they've got the Snow Leopard updates in the works, but they're not available now. Yep. And if those that's an application you really depend on, um, that's particularly a problem. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that printer drivers are, are behind because they always are. They always but, are. But, you know, absolutely. it seems to me inversely proportional. The bigger the printer manufacturer, the longer it takes them to turn out uh, <laughs> an OS ten driver update. Well, I don't know. Uh, Apple has uh, this event coming up on 9909, and I got an email from HP that on the same date, they're having this big Mac support thing going on on yeah. the website that if you have any issues with your HP printers running under Snow Leopard, they're going to have people right there ready to chat with you to walk you through the problem. That kind of surprised me, and I'm kind of happy with HP right now for yeah. doing something like that. I mean, that's that's really, really cool. Well, it, it, it just shows that uh, they're, they're starting to recognize that the Mac market is, is growing. Well, I think and they've recognized it a long time. The company that hasn't recognized it, two, Epson. Epson is the big one. Epson yeah. has treated Mac users like crap for years. They'll come out with a printer that's Mac compatible, and then they never update the drivers, ever. And so I've completely given up on them. Um, Lexmark yeah. is a little bit better, but they're usually... I, I guarantee there won't be an update for this big printer here for probably two months. No. Canon tend to release drivers that don't work. Yep. So they'll say they've got support, but you actually try and uh, get them working. You have to do all sorts of hacks to uh, actually get the, the driver uh, drivers working. I've got a Canon printer, laser printer here that I, I bought really cheap at PC World. And it's a great little printer, um, but every time I, I want to get it working, I have to hack the driver and, and basically start copying directories around this sort of thing to get the driver working, even though it's supposedly an official 10.5 Leopard driver. Now, with uh, HP, I will say this on the negative side. When you buy an HP printer and you install the, the software drivers from the disk, they just throw all kinds of crap on your hard drive. Um, they've got their own uh, photo gallery thing. that It's very intrusive. Yeah. They stick stuff in the dock, even though if you, you didn't want it there. Um, you do anything with your printer, and it defaults to the HP software rather than, say, iPhoto. It's just really intrusive software, and I wish they would stop doing that. What, what I tend to do with HP 
drivers is rather than use the... In fact, I do this with all printer drivers. I never use the driver that comes in the box. I don't either. Because it's always out of date. Yep. So we always go and get the latest driver. Now, if you go to um, driver.hp.com and, and feed it the name of the printer or the scanner you're trying to use, you normally will find in the software list there's a, a driver-only option. And which that's basically, what most people would want. Yeah, because that, that will just install the driver, but will use uh, OS X's own interface to actually drive the printer rather than HP's fantastic um, you know, piece of code that, well, it, as you say, will try and take yeah. your machine over. And, and their code, to be frank, hasn't really been updated in years. I mean, it still has the 10.2 look about it, Mac OS yeah. 10.2. They haven't updated it. It's nice that they try to come up with a solution, but you're dealing with Mac users who, for the most part, I would say 98% of them, are already using solutions for what you're trying to provide a solution for. So don't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, Ask people on installation, are you going to use iPhoto for your photos? Or do you want to open Photoshop when you scan? It doesn't do that, and I wish it would. I wish more manufacturers would take that route rather than oh, we're just going to install all this and set it to the default and if you don't like it good luck trying to turn it off well now with snow leopard isn't that kind of a, a non-issue where it goes out and gets just the driver for you mm, no I, it could be if you get a brand new printer plug it in and snow leopard goes oh look new printer when it goes grab them for you but it doesn't actually do that you still have to go to your printer control panel and system preferences and add a new printer, it looks to see what's out there, and then it goes and downloads the driver if you want it to, and if it's not already installed. So it's not as seamless as Apple makes it seem. It should be, if I plug a new printer in, the Mac should automatically recognize it and ask me, hey, here's this new printer, do you want me to find print drivers for it? That would be the ideal solution, but it doesn't do that. You have to tell the Mac, hey, look, do you see the new printer out there? It's being shared on such and such computer, or I just plugged it in to this Mac. Go look for drivers for me. You have to tell it to do that. Okay. So anyways, um, there has been a lot of anger, it seems, through <laughs> um, a, a few different media outlets about Snow Leopard. Uh, I'm talking about iLounge in particular, David. They really are not happy with Snow Leopard, it seems. Well, iLounger seems to be a bit unhappy with Apple in general at the moment. It doesn't seem anything that Apple does makes them happy. Um, and it's been like, you know, their site has been like this for a few months now. And, you know, there are some question marks been raised about whether that's because they've... Uh, they had a fairly public falling out with Apple PR a few months back. Um, and, of course, you know what happens if you're not on Apple PR's good side, then you're on their <laughs> bad side. Uh, and that means they actively try and block you from um, getting information about Apple stuff. So, you know, you, sometimes you read some of the things they say and some of the editorial stuff that, that Jerry writes up on the site, and you, you wonder whether there's a bit of sour grapes there or not. But he certainly uh, he certainly has ragged on Apple pretty hard over Snow Leopard. and, and But he's not the only one. In fact, Merlin no. Mann kind of had an article posted on his website that says the Mac fanboys out there really need to start looking more objectively at what Apple is releasing, at least as far as the OS updates. Um, and the gist is that Snow Leopard isn't as good, and it's not what he thought it was going to be, and he's had a lot of incompatibilities. Do you yeah. think, though, that that's a fair criticism of the Mac press, that you know, sites no. like ours is just, you know, we're too much in Apple's pocket, and we don't talk about the negative aspects? I, I think I think actually we're 
not I'm not talking about about our site in particular, but in, in general, I think I think the Apple press are probably too critical of Apple. I think so too. too uh, you know, they're too. They live the dream. <laughs> you know, it's like the reality distortion field never gets turned off. So the, I mean, and we're already seeing it over this Apple event that's scheduled for next next Wednesday. Um, the speculation is going absolutely crazy. And what happens is people build up in their own mind whatever an Apple's next product is going to be is something far beyond what it actually can ever deliver. And then get really disappointed and really come down on it very hard when it doesn't deliver what they expected it to deliver. And I think the Snow Leopard criticisms from people like Merlin and from uh, Leo Laporte has, has been another one who's been in this oh, area. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just don't don't see it. Even at $29, I'm not sure it's worth the money, and it's just they're just charging us for a service pack, and where's the, I, I just went her and all this sort of stuff, and you think, well, hang on a minute. Haven't Apple spent nearly two years telling us that this was not going to be a big new feature update. This was going to be all under the hood stuff, and you Laying weren't going to see work. massive change. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's groundwork for the future. You know, this is you know one of the big complaints that I've heard on on a couple of other shows that I won't name Go is name that them. that's fine. okay. Well, like Twit MacBreak Weekly, for example, saying, "Oh, well, it boots up into 32-bit mode. It's not true 64." It's like you know what? Even if it was, even if it did boot up. Uh, you know, natively, because you, you can still boot into 64-bit mode if you hold down the 6 and the 4 when you start your machine. But that doesn't necessarily mean that any of the software you have is going to run. That's right. Now, yeah. when, a couple of years ago, when Windows started looking at 64-bit, at they, they went through the same transition. There, there were a lot of people who, oh, I'm, I got 64-bit Windows. What are you running on it? Well, nothing, because yeah. none, of, none of your nothing software... Works. Is is ready for sixty four bit? And how so, how can you yeah how can you criticize the product for things breaking, and saying you know this is broken Apple is pushing out broken software and then in the same breath say oh well, by the way it's not running in native sixty four bit mode which we know would break more things right it's it's, it's a completely circular argument. Well, there's you know eventually you know there, there's going to be I'm guessing like in the next year to year and a half. That as Apple starts pushing out updates to 10.6, that the developers are, are going to start getting on board. And frankly, they should have already been on board because most of the bigger ones have had developer releases of this and should have had you know finished product or finished updates, at least, to products ready to go not long after or just before Apple released this uh, this OS, I think that there's a lot of anger directed towards Apple when it's unfairly directed at Apple. I'm yeah. not going to be an apologist for Apple, number one, but more to the point, I think a lot of these people need to start looking at the developers of these software titles, Adobe, for instance. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, there's some people that are having problems saving files in um, Photoshop With CS4. CS4. Well, not only that, but you know, I mean, Adobe. Has already come out and said that they're not going to support CS3, which is fine on Snow Leopard. That, so they're already fine. pushing toward you know, okay, well, if, if you really want to use our our product to its best advantage on OS X, well, you should just go ahead and, and get CS4, regardless of whether or not there's any advantages to your workflow. Yeah. But here's it, the it, problem: if they're going to say, well, we're going to support it under CS4, then when Snow Leopard comes out and CS4 is having all these bugs. Why right. are those bugs there? Why is there not already a week later an update to Adobe Photoshop CS4? 
Yeah. Especially if that's what they're pushing for. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly my point. If you're going to support it, then support it. And I, Adobe's a big company. They've had access to Snow Leopard for probably Long. a year. So or why are we still said, waiting no, and, for an update? Yeah, yeah, and chances are, you know, what they had a year ago obviously was not the, the finished But they product. obviously weren't ready. I mean, here it is. Yeah. It's a week yeah. later after Snow Leopard's release, and there's still no update to, to yeah. PS4. And I, I don't have the problems that I've read online with um, uh, Photoshop at all under Snow Leopard, but a lot of people are. And yeah. if Adobe's going to say they're going to support CS4... Only, only CS4. Then they better get cracking on some updates. Instead of trying to get on every podcast in the world to send the PR message on how great CS4, CS4 is. Yeah. I, I think it, this whole thing is very interesting because, it, as I say, this is amazing how the, the uh, blogosphere, if you want to call it that, has lost the perspective in some quarters about what Snow Leopard is all about. Yep. For me... You know, if you want to read a really good article about what's going on in Snow Leopard, read the Ars Technica Absolutely. review. Absolutely. Uh, Very you comprehensive. Know, it's like Oh, yeah, it was like pages. 23 pages. 23 yeah. pages, but you know what? It really explains in very simple terms exactly what Apple has done here. And I think, you know how people have been saying for a, a couple of years now, ever since um, they changed the name from Apple Computer, um, that the uh, the Mac platform is is becoming less relevant to Apple. It's all about the iPhone. It's all about the iPods. It's all about the music store. Snow Leopard for me is very much the uh, the statement that says absolutely not. Yep, I any agree. Of those things. I agree. What they have done here, they've taken the opportunity, something that Microsoft has never done, which is to jettison all the legacy code and say you know what we are moving away from this now the world is going to be different and guess what developers you better come with us because otherwise you're out on your own or get out of the way yeah microsoft has done has never done that and that's why even today with windows 7 you could probably find code in there that was written in the late 80s early 90s what apple has done here is they've said we've now got a new much more powerful um application and, and, and hardware platform inside these computers it's using all this latest technology with multi-cores and gpus and this sort of thing they've they've said we're going to move into a 64-bit world we're going to rewrite the thing from the ground up to take absolute best advantage of this hardware that sat on everyone's desks and what we're going to see over the next two three years is as a performance platform the macintosh is going to start running the rings around the pc yep because of the decisions they've made with snow leopard snow leopard is preparing us for the future it's trimming the fat and i think this is really the first time that i've seen any major os maker make it leaner meaner ready to go not full Absolutely. of a bunch of bloatware, and yeah. keep the price low. Thirty bucks. I mean, yeah. I'll be honest. I got mine for twenty five bucks from a guy on eBay. <laughs> yeah. well, I did. I, I was like, why I've, not? I've ordered the the uh, the five user pack for for the rest of the machines in the house. Yeah, the machine I'm on now. Yeah, the machine I'm on now gets the the fairly free upgrade. We had to pay the shipping and handling, and I I, I need to talk about that before we finish the show. Well, we're going to um, wrap up now, so go ahead. Uh, well, one thing I was disappointed with is the fact I got charged nearly eight pounds, uh, twelve dollars for shipping and handling on this DVD for the the uh, free Snow Leopard upgrade or the, or the cheap Snow Leopard upgrade because I bought this machine. Uh, I bought it middle of June, so it's just after they announced that Snow Leopard was on the way. Um, and despite that, it was posted out to me second class post. So I didn't even get it on the day of release. I got it the day afterwards. That's BS. And I thought I'd pay. Yeah, you know. 
I paid all that money for shipping and handling, apparently, and they couldn't even courier it to me. You know, it's not the end of the world that I got it a day after everyone else, but it just would have been nice because it kind of feels like, yeah, we've already got your money for the machine. Yeah, be happy you're getting it anyway, sucker. Be happy, exactly. Be happy you're getting it at all. So, but uh, yeah, it's Snow Leopard's a nice product. It's got some really nice new features in, but absolutely, these machines are going to start flying, and um, we're we're fortunate to be on this platform. I think going forward. Well, we're going to be talking about Snow Leopard in the weeks and months to come, obviously. I mean, we've been talking about Leopard for the last, what, two and a half years, it seems. Yeah. So Snow Leopard's the, the new norm. We're all running it. I'm going to assume that most of those listening to this podcast is running it. We'd really like to hear your experiences using Snow Leopard. So send us feedback at feedback at mymac.com. In the meantime, we've got to wrap up the show. I will remind you to enter our contest for the EcoFan Pro Mac Alley laptop stand you've got two weeks this show and next show to enter uh we're going to draw the winner if you will on september 17th so if you don't get your entry in before then you're out of luck send your contest entries to contest at mymac.com next week we're going to have a listener invite it's going to be a gentleman by the name of paul carlin i'm looking forward to that we're also going to be covering whatever happens on september 9th so uh we're going to record the Paul Carlin interview before the big September 9th announcement. So next week's show is going to be broken up into two segments. One segment's going to be the the listener invite, and then we're going to talk about whatever happens on September 9th. So with that, It'll we're probably going a little to, bit of a longer show. Um, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we do encourage you to go up to iTunes and review our podcast. We'd really appreciate it. And subscribe to Sam Levin's new podcast. You can find the link at mymac.com. In the meantime, I am twitter.com slash mymac. David? I am twitter.com slash David B. Cohen. And Guy Searle? Twitter.com slash Mac Hippie. And with that, we're out of here. Thanks for downloading and listening to the mymac.com podcast. 